Some places take you away. Some bring you together. Marathon does both. Marathon is Florida's family key with something for everyone. You'll find museums and wildlife refuges, wide open beaches, miles of warm, clear water, and the historic Seven Mile Bridge. For more about Marathon and the latest safety protocols, visit flakeys.com slash marathon. And I knew if I went down this path, I might be successful by everyone else's standards. And everyone else might say, you're great. But if I didn't have myself, I had nothing and I'd be a failure. And I think when we face there, well, I'm going to die. Not as a morbid thing, but as a beautiful reminder of the preciousness of life. Hey folks, Commander Mark Devine, retired, back with you with the Unbeatable Mind podcast. I am super excited today to have a special guest named Coot Blackson with me. Before I introduce Coot a little bit more formally, I would like to remind you that it would be very, very helpful if you could rate our podcast on iTunes. That would help other people who don't know about us or you know hear about us through word of mouth to find us because they might be searching for someone else and pop, there we are. So go rate us on uh, iTunes. If you would, and also um, support our sponsors because that, that really helps. All right, so Coot, thanks for joining us. I'm really excited. Coot is here in L.A., so he's up the road from me. He is a visionary. He's a human potential leader, a spiritual leader. He's just wrote and published a book called You Are the One, which I read through last night. I loved it. We're going to talk about that today. He's an authority in transformational immersion journeys. I can't wait to learn what that is. I mean, I've been on a few immersion journeys of my own, but I tell you what, I think from what I read last night, Coot's got a, a special way of helping people kind of meet themselves for the first time, right? So we're going to talk about that. He's shared his method for liberated living to millions of people all over the world. So Coot's an up-and-coming spiritual leader. You know, he uses the latest in technology like YouTube and uh, really cool stuff and I am super stoked to have you. So a couple things. Uh, Coot is Ghanan, right? Is that how you say it? Ghanaian? Ghanaian. Yeah, Ghanaian. Okay, so you're born in Ghana, which is in West Africa. Uh, your mother was Japanese and your father was Ghanaian. And from what I get, we'll start here. From what I get yeah. from your book is they had a little challenge communicating. when they met. <laughs> <laughs> That's an understatement. They couldn't, they couldn't speak. <laughs> is that right? So, so they it's... had no understanding of the land. It was an arranged marriage? They couldn't speak at all. Not at all. And my dad didn't speak a lick of Japanese. My mother didn't speak a lick of English other than hello. So they couldn't talk. So, I mean, I can tell you the story of how they met if you want. It's a, yeah, it's a wild, I think that would be a cool place to start because yeah, you know, that's wild, where you so, came from, right? So, 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 so here's the deal. Uh, and, I, you know, I grew up in London. Now I've been in the U.S. So I'm like from everywhere. Yeah, and, and, and so when my father was about eight years old, he would have these visions of a Japanese guru. You know, like a Yogananda kind of guy who was famous in the West, up, you know, through yeah. like 50 years ago. Yeah, we know about Yogananda. This guru would, would, would come into his dreams and teach him about life and the cosmos and the nature of the universe. The guy was, my dad was eight years old in Africa, you know. This was in, in, the, in the 40s, the 30s. I mean, right. in, four, in the 40s, 50s. So here he is having these visions, these downloads. When my father was 15, he had this spiritual conversion 
started a church. He started healing people, basically. At, at 15? At 15. He started putting his hand. He had this conversion of the light, became a Christian, started healing people, started putting his hands on people, blind people seeing, deaf people hearing, people really? standing up at watches, became known as the miracle man of Africa. Just to give you, this is kind of a backtrack, then I'll go back to the story. Wow. But when, I, when I was, my first memories as a five-year-old boy, six-year-old boy was being chubby kid, being lost in the crowd and seeing a crippled woman, I'll never forget seeing this crippled woman crawling on the floor, picking up the sand that he walked on, wiping on her, on her face and standing up. This guy's my father. That's incredible. So, so my father... Be, be, no got tricks. This, you, that was all real. Oh, I mean, you know, it's one thing to see on TV, right? <laughs> <laughs> it's another thing to like, you know, I saw my dad you saw in his under... your own eyes. So it was, I, I would be around my dad all the time. So I would see it, plain as day, just right there. A woman would incredible. come in and, here, and he'd say, boom, stand up. And she would stand up. Person would come in in crutches. It would say, throw your crutches away. Boom. I mean, you know, week after week after week of no cameras, nothing, right? So, so it was really amazing. And, and so my father got known at 15 for these crazy miracles. Thousands of people started to come. He built a sh- the first church, second church. By the time he was 36, 300 churches, hundreds of thousands of followers. I mean, maybe, maybe close to a million followers around West Africa. Okay? What was his church called? Like what? It, it, was, it was like a – at first – Here's what it gets interesting. At first, he was very Christian, right. and then he then he went to India, and he he had these spiritual enlightenment experiences. Yeah. So his philosophy became very mystical, nice, kind of more of a Christian mystic. So, yeah, well, so the uh, early he, Christian Christian uh, philosophy was like that. You know, the Gnostic tradition is very that, very mystical, and it syncs up quite a bit with yoga philosophy. Exactly. So, when he was uh, 35, 30, he's probably I don't know when he was thirty seven. He his first wife had died. He had three kids. He's in a store in Ghana. This is in the mid-70s. He's in a store in Ghana. A book falls off the shelf. He looks at the back of the book, picks it up, looks at the back. He sees the face of this Japanese guru. The Japanese guru that he didn't know was a real human being. Hmm. He didn't know this guy was real. He's shocked. He writes to the guy. said, you've been coming to me in my dream since I was eight. I didn't know you were even a real person. The guy sends his son-in-law to meet my father. The son-in-law is so blown away. He says, we want you to come do a lecture with the guru in Japan. We're talking like stadiums, you know. So wow. my dad says yes. And uh, he says, by the way, I'm, I'm looking for a wife. You know, if you could pray for me, I, would, I believe in the power of prayer. Like I would like to meet my wife. So the man says, no problem. He, the son-in-law goes back to Japan, gives a talk. Now, my mother grew up in this spiritual organization since okay. she was a kid. So she's like now 28 and she's not married yet. So in Japan, if you're not married by 28 you're old it's over right <laughs> so her prayer her prayer has become you know so often these days is what do you want in a relationship and make the list and put the list down right, her right. prayer was simply god i surrender universe i surrender to whoever you want me to marry nice. i will marry that person just let me know that this is my soulmate boom end of story i surrender and so she surrenders She's in the audience. She hears about this African man coming to Japan. She says, boom. She feels the chills in her body. This is my husband. No way. She, write, she writes to my father. My father's in London. He's meditating. God says, your wife's going to come to you tomorrow. She's like, how the hell is that going to happen? He goes to the mailbox. There's a letter from my mother. He, his hands start to shake. He opens it. It's my mother. Nothing romantic. And he writes to her and he says, would you be open to moving? Would you be open to moving to Ghana? Kind of a proposal. She writes back and says, if it's God's will, he writes back and says, yes, it's God's will. <laughs> of 
Yes. And, and he his goes, wife will too. <laughs> and she couldn't speak English. Her sister was writing the letters. He couldn't speak Japanese. They go meet for the first time. They can't communicate. My dad, my mom has never seen a white person, a foreign person, let alone a black African guy. You know, so this was two different worlds, man. Unreal. You know, unreal. So they can't speak. And my dad has no money to throw a wedding, like for Japanese standards, you know. So God says, look, just chill. He's meditating. Everything's flowing. Six weeks later, he goes to his mailbox. There is an envelope. He's told no one about this. Like, he doesn't have the money for the wedding. But, you know, in the 70s, you're going to marry a Japanese woman. You have to throw a ceremony, kimono, some sake, something, you know, to, to represent. Was going to be in Africa or Japan? In Japan. Oh, it's going to be in Japan. Because okay. you can't just take the bride and, and, and not have a wedding. It's got to be respectful, right? right of course. So, so he goes to his mailbox. There's an envelope. He opens the envelope. There's $7,000 in cash, U.S. cash. And all it says is anonymous, no name. This is for your wedding. <laughs> and, and he had told no one, and that's the, Do you the think short. It came story. from her father. No, not no. at all. I, we found out ten years later. Oh wait, wait, her father wasn't the guru. I, I mixed that up. So yeah, you no, think, no. I was thinking maybe it came from the Zen master. No, no. Interesting. No. See, see, we found that years ago when I was about twelve, thirteen. It, the the story was so rare about Africa and Japan marrying that it was in the newspapers. And a supermarket mogul, like a, like a billionaire kind of supermarket guy, read the story. And he said when he read the story, his heart was touched. And so he sent some money. He just, he just, just didn't know why he just sent it. And that's what happened. You know, this is such a remarkable story. And what I love about that is, it, you know, it reminds us how mysterious the world is and how, how connected everyone and every event can be yeah. right and people just think that you know everyone's in their own little silo and and become really contracted in our own little stories but if you really do open up you know to that radiant sameness oneness one taste of the universe yeah then that that god's love god's will whatever words you want to use to describe it will will organize things in synchronous ways to make what's right right it's how amazing. beautiful is that story i love that Thanks for sharing that. And so that's cool because you just told me a lot about your parents. You, so you grew up in a very spiritual family. Your father was a minister. Do you call him a preacher or a minister or what was the... He was, he was a minister. I mean, he was a spiritual visionary in yeah, a sense. Yeah. I mean, and he a was healer. A healer, visionary, minister, leader. I mean, right. he was in Ghana. He's iconic, you know, very yeah. iconic. Is he yeah. still alive, by the way? He's still alive. He's, he's still in Ghana, alive. West Africa. Yeah, he's chilly. You know, he's getting older, so he's not sure. doing as much. But he's he's his whole operations going. Now, very clearly, he wanted you, or he had some hopes that you would follow in his footsteps. Yeah, he wanted me to take over his church. So right. when I was age eight, I started speaking Did in you? my father's uh, in my father's church, and I did my first talk at age eight in front of five thousand people. I was sleeping in the crowd, and I was woken up. You one, got one, tagged, one, tagged to come speak. Was wake that, up. Was that to wake you up or to see if you had what it took? I, I don't know. I think it was a combination of both. <laughs> Sun speak. Because it happened to be when I was sleeping. Right. And, uh, and, and that's, cool. when, that's when it began. That's when something started. So you me. channeled too. So. Yeah, something just came through, man. Something just came through that wasn't of myself and it was just coming through. And I don't really remember, really remember what I said. It just started happening. But then when, so I started speaking you know, every month when I was 8, 9, till 14. And then I was ordained. I was ordained as a minister, and, give, and I was kind of announced and given the mandate to take over my father's organization. But I knew in my heart that that wasn't my path. You know, right. I, knew, I knew that 
this is not this is not right. This let is me, not. Let me put, characterize it. So, so to me, you know, growing up in America, fourteen sounds really young. But as you're speaking, I'm I'm wondering if you know, fourteen was like twenty for for me. You know, like you're expected yeah. to step into manhood at that early in in Ghana, just because of the way you grow up and the culture. Yeah, yeah. Is that yeah. True? It, it was young, but you know, I I grew up also. You know, I started reading when I was age eight. You know, reading spiritual books. So I was always a little different. You know, I grew up in London. So it was, I was in London, but I was always in, in service to community. I was always like, always, my life was being in the church and being around the church. So it was a different orientation. It wasn't necessarily spending all my time hanging out, playing with Legos. You yeah. know, it was a slightly different exposure to people and life and things. And so that really informed me. But I knew when I was 14, though. That that wasn't my path, right. and I and I was afraid to speak the truth because I felt like if I spoke the truth, I was afraid of the consequences. I'd lose my father. Yeah, uh, we wouldn't speak again. I'd be abandoned. I'd be outcast. I'd be alone. Right. And so I suppressed the truth. You know, so I didn't acknowledge the truth, and I kind of, you know, denied what I felt inside in order to fit in and to not rock the boat and right. to just kind of keep things going. And it was tough. It was really tough. I bet. And how common is that? Oh, my gosh. You know, a lot of people I train are, are still locked in the story that they, were, yeah. uh, that they were kind of fed, you know, that they were spoon-fed by their family. And a lot of, you know, a lot of times it's, it's unconscious. It's not like intentional. It's not like, hey, we're going to lock our son in this story that he's going to be a minister. It's yeah. just, hey, this is a good thing, and he's going to follow my footsteps. He's got the skills. But if it's not your dharma, it's not your purpose then you're basically heading down the wrong path. And so you've, you've so felt sure. this intuitively probably because you were fairly open and, and all the contemplation and your just connection to God, you were able to feel that. And so many people are closed off from that. Yeah. So I, I guess you must feel really fortunate that at that early age, you had that insight. You know, I, I knew it at 14, my truth, but it took me four years you oh, know, to, okay. to, to really, because I went along with it. I got ordained and sure. I you know, went with it and, and because I really wanted to help people, but deep down I was afraid if I told the truth, what would happen? I would never have a relationship with my father again. So I, com I compromised, right. you know, and it was, a, there was a deep sense of knowing. I remember the night before my ordination, I knew like, this is not good, man. Yeah. This is, this is not it. But I, I, I knew and I was terrified. And, and so it took me four years to really muster up the courage, develop the courage to face the truth of like, this is not my path. Mm -hmm. and, and those four years were very painful and mm -hmm. very tumultuous. And, and there came a point where I knew I had to make a decision. I was 18. I had to make it. What am I going to do now? Now I can't hide. And, and I looked at my path and the, the path my father had laid out. And I knew if I went down this path, I might be successful by everyone else's standards. And everyone else might say, you're great. But if I didn't have myself, I had nothing and I'd be a failure. Right. And I took the other path, which is the complete unknown and I realized even if I was poor, broke, I had nothing, I had no one, if I had myself, it would be challenging maybe, but I, I would have peace. Sure. And that's when I made a decision that nothing was worth compromising myself. Nothing was worth compromising my truth. Because I believe when we compromise our truth and compromise ourselves, we lose the inner integrity. And when we lose inner integrity, we lose everything. We lose right. our sense of power. We lose our sense of self-respect. And that's our sense of relationship with ourselves. That's the foundation. That's it. Yeah. yeah, that's the foundation. Right. So, uh, so, what, so how did that conversation go with your father when you finally said, okay, this is it. Today's the day. I've got to do this. I, I had had that conversation in my head 
I, how many, hundred, three thousand times. No way. Know? Okay. And in my mind, just dad, dad, you know, and and so I said, today's the day. And I walked up the stairs, and I thought he was going to scream and shout and what have you, you know. And, and and he was lying down and looked at my father. And this was the day I became a man. I think the day I became a man was the day I was willing to face the consequences of whatever whatever my actions were. Absolutely, that was an initiation into manhood, mm-hmm. where you could say I symbolically, symbolically had to kill my father, right. had to disappoint my father right. in order to reclaim my life. That was the beginning. Right. And I looked him in the eyes, and he was lying down. I said, "Dad, I have something to tell you." Um, I'm not, don't feel called to take over your churches. He was silent, which was even worse. He was silent, which was even worse. He would just scream at me. He was silent. And he just looked at me and he said, are you sure? I said, yes. He said, are you sure? Yeah. Okay. And that was the conversation. And it was, I don't know what was worse because he, he didn't really give me a response. There was no dialogue. It was just that. It was nothing. That was, that was it. And that was, I mean, I felt elated. I felt free. And it was scary. Terrifying, felt, right? Because what's he next? <laughs> he hasn't said anything. And what's next was we didn't speak very much, you okay. know. Uh, and then what happened for me is I believe that whenever we follow our true soul's calling, whenever we are true to our knowing, Universe always supports us Absolutely. somehow. It may, it may not always be kind of how we think it's going to right. be, but it's going to be what it need, what it needs to be. Right. And cut a long story short, I ended up. You know, I, I was like, I want to come to the U.S. How am I going to come to the U.S.? I feel called to come to the U.S. because this is where in L.A., Southern California, San Diego, this is where all the authors are. You know, Tony Robbins, Deepak Chopra, Marilyn Williamson, Barbara DeAngelis, John Gray, on and on. They're all down in this area. Mark and, Divine. I'm just you know, <laughs> <laughs> That's right. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't know you back then. <laughs> so they're all here, right? And, and, and so I wanted to come to the U.S. and it was a dream. And I said, God, if, if this is my destiny, you, you have to help me now. Like, awesome. I, I have given everything up. Like people say, well, do you really want it? I was willing to give my whole life for this dream. Right. Like, it wasn't theory anymore. I'd spoken to my father. This was it. I was floating in the unknown. That's a burn your boat commitment right there. It was like, let me burn everything. Yeah. And I said, God, I universe, that. I'm standing in the middle of the ocean. You've got to help me. Right. Two days later, someone gives me a magazine called The Economist. I look in the back of the magazine. I see an ad that says the American government's giving away green cards and the green card lottery. And that's kind of long story short, I won a green card yeah. in a lottery. And that really gave me profound confirmation, you know, like, you're on the right path. Right. The universe is supporting you. Right. And any time I've, you know, especially in those beginning years when I came to the U.S. with two suitcases, knew no one the country, just a dream, where I got afraid or I got, you know, doubted or discouraged, I remember, hey, you want a green card, man? That's that's destiny, and and that's what kept me going in those beginning years. Right. So you ended up in L.A. What did you do? Like you just. You know, did you go try to find a job at a coffee shop or something? Like, what What did you do when you landed in L.A. and said, okay, here I am. I made it to America now. I ended up in L.A. I knew no one. Right. I asked the taxi guy to take me somewhere safe and cheap. He takes me to a very a place called Venice Beach Cotel. It's Cotel with a C, not, not a motel or a hotel, a Cotel. I've never heard of a Cotel. You don't want to know what a Cotel is. <laughs> Just, <laughs> okay. I cried my eyes out for a week. Basically, oh, okay. I was afraid. You felt so alone, probably. Yeah, just- I was so alone because you know this was eighteen years ago, nineteen years ago in in Venice, California, which is a little 
edgy, crazy then. Yeah. And, and it's cleaned up a lot. And I didn't know one. I didn't know like <laughs> hell to do. And I never lived by myself. So after crying for a week and I said, cool, you're going to have to get your shit together. I got a tiny little apartment, no furniture, slept on the floor. And I just begun hustling, you know, uh, worked odd jobs. I worked in a Chinese $1 dish restaurant, mopping the floor. I mean, whatever it took. And then I got into multi-level marketing. And through that, I did okay for, I was in it for like eight months. But through that, I got to meet so many people. Mm. And, and that's when I started promoting speakers and seminars and what have you and kind of got some contacts in, in the industry. And, and did you know that you wanted to be, you, I, I think you said earlier that you had a sense that you wanted to be an author speaker. You oh, yeah. I knew, knew I, knew, I knew when I was 10. Okay. You know? got like it. I read, I, my first book I read was Shakti Gawain. Creative yeah. visualization, right. and around 10, 11, 12, I, like I knew by the time I was fourteen and I was ordained, I knew this was my path. Right. I started reading people like Deepak and Marianne. I'm like, there's a different way to do this. Yeah. I don't have to do it through the church. These people are doing it in seminar. This was my path, and, and so I knew. I mean, I had visions. I saw as a young boy, you know, because we didn't have a lot of money. We 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 lived right behind my dad's church in, in an attached apartment, a smaller. Mm-hmm. Right? And my bedroom was, I mean, I don't know if it's eight by 10, but all you could put was a single bed in the bedroom and, and squeeze by to get on the bed. It was so small. Wow. So my room was so small and I felt so limited by my circumstance. I felt so limited by my environment. And yet I felt such big dreams in my heart wanting mm-hmm. to express, you know, and, and I felt so frustrated. Like I have, how am I going to manifest these dreams in my heart? And I would sneak out, Mark, in the middle of the night, sometimes 11 o'clock, 10 o'clock. And I sneak into the, my father's church with the lights off because I didn't want anyone to see. And I would lock the door and I would imagine, this is age 14, myself speaking to the empty chairs. Oh, cool. and, I, and, I, and I would speak for two, three, four hours, giving seminars to the empty chairs, imagining their souls getting transformed, you know, and imagining I was in Madison Square Garden and, and just speaking. And, and so... You know, whenever I, I always knew, so whenever I get the sense to speak now, it's very humbling because I remember, wow, I imagine souls in these chairs and here they are now, you know, and it's right. really, gives me chills every time. It's yeah. really, it's really special. That is really cool. If you're finding inspiration in the Unbeatable Mind podcast, then I bet you're ready to take the next step toward discovering your why and developing your self-mastery. So I encourage you to check out the Unbeatable Mind Online Academy. The Unbeatable Mind Academy is our intensive online training program with step-by-step techniques and training for developing mental focus and clarity, expanding your awareness, developing authentic leadership, increasing your functional fitness, nutrition, and recovery, and all around developing yourself to a higher stage and maximizing your performance as a human being. You're going to get great training and support from myself and our other coaches and you'll be connected to your peers on the same journey in our private Facebook group. So if you're ready to cultivate your warrior spirit and develop your unbeatable mind, find out more at unbeatablemind.com. That's unbeatablemind.com. Yeah. See you in training. So let's shift focus a little bit. So I'm really intrigued by the story of the fellow you took to India on the transformational, you call him a transformational immersion journey. Where, yes. did, where did that idea come from? And can you tell us about that experience? What that experience which, is which, about? Which experience? With the, with the fellow or just the experience in general? Well, both. Like, 
maybe tell about the experience through this this one uh, incident, this one story. Which which story are you referring the, to? The 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 business guy that you took to India, and you had I think it was a transformational immersion journey that you took in India or that you do in India. So first, tell us about what is what is a transformational immersion journey? Yeah, so so, so the transformational immersion journey is where I really kind of unplug people from their regular TikTok environment. I unplug people from their routines and I immerse them and I take away everything from them. Every place that we tend to hold on to for a sense of safety, for a sense of this is who I am, for a sense of identity, right. you know, I take all of that away because we think we're free, but the moment you take away someone's iPhone, someone's Well you take you take away their, their first layer of identity. I take which away is their that physical that, stuff. I take routine. away that level right. of because we're often placing our sense of self, my car, my makeup, right. my shoes, my clothes, my, you know, my image, right? The me that I think I am on the surface, I take that shit away. Right. So that the question is, well, when you take that, what's left? And then it forces you to just ooh, go deeper. It's like scuba diving. You go deeper and deeper and deeper. And like, who's in there? If, I, if I'm not that belief, there's the physical, then there's the thoughts, and there's the emotions. If I'm not that, then who am I? And it starts taking you deeper to the source. Right. So I take all that away. So we think we're free, but we're not really free. And, and then I customize and I create experiences, situations on many different levels that put people, that challenge you, that stretch you, that push your limits, that, that trigger, that bring up anything that's unresolved mm-hmm. for you, that inhibit the full expression of your being, mm-hmm. that inhibit your ability to truly be who you really are in the world and live love. You know, nice. so yeah. I create situations that really that, that expose that, help you face that, become aware of those things and, and heal and shift through that. And it's, it's really dynamic. And, and it came about, you know, in India, when I was doing the one on one journeys, uh, the liberation experience, which I write about in my book. When oh, I think that's what I was thinking about. The li- you called that a liberation experience. Okay. Liberation experience. And that was one client that you would take for a couple of weeks. One- one client, but I took 19 clients in, seven, in six and a half years. Uh, <laughs> okay. So it was a lot. And, and, and so how it came about was I found myself on the back of a train on my own journey, you know, 16 years ago, 15 years ago, on the back of a train in the poorest section in India. Mm-hmm. And I found myself in a sardine can situation, freaked out, and I couldn't believe I was with the poorest people in the world and what I saw, the level of suffering. You know, there was a, people that were sick. And, and it was like right there with me. And this kid head hanging out the train it, like if this kid fell off the train no one would care and, I, and it broke my heart because i thought we live in a world where we could send people to the moon but yeah. we have our computers but we can't feed a child this is just insane and i just started crying mm. and then i looked into this woman's eyes and i saw that what was looking at me was looking at her and it felt like there was this there was this oneness mm-hmm. there was a sense of oneness that was breathing us both and i just felt this explosion of love and i thought wouldn't it be amazing if the head of Nike, the head of Google, people in leadership positions were on this train with me mm-hmm. having this transformation experience, getting to know who they were and feeling the interconnectedness of all humanity? How would they use their money, their resources? If Oprah was here, how would they, how would, how would they use their money, resources, influence, and power then to impact the world if they realized that we're all one, we're all one family? You know? And so I thought, wow, that's cool. Then I forgot about thinking no one's going to be crazy enough to do this journey because I shaved my head. I had a backpack. I was just roaming India. Awesome. And then I, then I became successful as a coach. And, it, and over the course of years, I built a very successful coaching company. 
And in 2006 is when I said I got the download, create that journey. Mm. And that, that became the 12-day liberation experience. Take away your passport, take away your money, make you write letters to everyone in your life in case you don't come back, make you sign your will in case you don't come back. And ultimately, you have to face death because so often we're so busy avoiding death mm-hmm. uh, that, we don't, we're, that we're actually afraid to live. Right. And, and so I make people face that themselves and face their fears so that they can free themselves and, and free themselves to then live life and ultimately do what they're here to do. And, yeah. and that's what it became about. Fascinating. So was each one of these journeys with these 19 clients like very customized based upon yes. like your intuitive yes. sense of what, yes. what fear they needed to face? And, sure. And also probably very spontaneous in the moment. You know. Each one was very customized, and I planned many of them out because we traveled around, you know, 14 cities sometimes in 12 days, wow. which is nonstop. Mm-hmm. First, first four or five days, the clients don't see a bed. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> literally, they don't see a bed. Right. And, and, and so it, it unravels them. It breaks them down. But it, it makes them, you know, look, I give an analogy. It makes them deal with their conditioning, right? So, mm-hmm. so when we're born, we're born free. As children, we're born like these free beings. Mm-hmm. and we fully expressed and we jump on the table and we don't care my fat what do you think can i sing we just ah we're just expressing ourselves right. but then, then we meet our parents who are a little sometimes a, a little crazy you know or they have their own issues and, mm-hmm. and they're just doing the best that they can which is based on what's been passed down from their generations mm-hmm. and their parents and their grandparents and now we meet our parents and all of a sudden we're these free beings and now we often face pain trauma abuse hurt maybe they neglect us maybe they don't know how to, to love us in the way we need to it's not their fault they're just in their own stuff right. so we start learning two things as children we start learning a way of being in order to avoid the pain to not feel the pain of what's going on around so we start numbing disconnecting shutting down from our emotional capacity because it's too painful feeling like my dad's not around or feeling like my mother doesn't love me or whatever it might be. So we start disconnecting from our feelings. Second part is we start learning a way of being. We start learning a mechanism, a strategy uh, to develop a persona and a mask to get love, be validated, be approved. And it's like, who do, who, who do I need to be in order, in order for you to love me? Right. Who do I need to be? So we start developing this mask. You know, Maybe we become the good boy, the independent person, the nice guy, the whatever it is. The, we become arrogant. We become you know, uh, the caretaker of all people because that's who we thought we needed to be in order to be loved. And, and we get identified and locked into that way of being, mm-hmm. you know, as a, and we think that's who we are. Right. So really what I do on these journeys is I ask people, and my work is about asking people, is who you are who you really are? Right. Is it who you really are? And the degree to which we can, we think we have free will, but the degree to which we're conditioned, we actually don't have the free will that we think we have. So for me, it's about freeing people from all the places they've held onto right. has become identi- uh, an identification that then inhibits the full expression of our freedom. I love that. That's terrific. And, and you know, I don't, you don't know this, but uh, we have a transformational journey at SealFit we call Kokoro Camp. Kokoro is a Japanese word that means heart, mind, oh, it's word, heart, heart, yeah, heart right? like essence of heart. And it's 52 hours of nonstop physical and mental training. No sleep. Uh, (laughs) And uh, we have a saying that people will meet themselves, you know, their true self for the first time. And then in in some of the preparatory work for that, one of our meditations is just to meditate on the concept, who am I? Which is a classic, right? you know, yogic uh, meditation because just go to go through the layers, you know, who am I? Well, I'm. I'm Mark Devine, I'm an MBA, and I'm a CPA, and I'm a Navy SEAL, and then, no, no, all that, what's beneath that, and then what's beneath the next layer. But to experience it head first, like what you're talking about, where you have to face 
in a facilitated environment, you have to face your truth and strip that away. That's very powerful. Yeah. Very cool. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. So what, so those came uh, early on to your kind of coaching one-on-one relationship. How did you, how do you take that kind of energy and serve more people? Like what was next for you? How do you take that from one-on-one to be able to serve groups and, and thousands of people? Because that's such a personal experience and intense. And this is something that, you know, I've often thought about is like, how can we impact more people? And so how do you, how can you impact more people? What's next for you or what are you working on now? I mean, I, I, I mean, I I did a lot of one-on-one and I started working with groups and I started speaking in public and I started, and then I started making, using media as in terms of videos Mm -hmm. as a way to impact people. And that was something I did. And I started that years back is start making videos Mm -hmm. and some of my, some of my videos started getting seen by quite a few people Mm -hmm. and some of my videos kind of had a viral effect. And so that's what I started doing is using media and the visual medium to impact people okay. in, a, in a pretty cool way. That is and cool. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So me. for me, part of my, my vision now is also to use media, working on a TV show, but to use media as a vehicle to impact millions of people. So oh, good luck with that. Okay, so that makes sense. So the ne- that's the next step for you. To go one, one of the next, yes. One of the next yeah. steps, step it up to TV. Exactly. I like that. Yeah, I like that. Tell us about the, um, the Bali experience. Yeah, the Bali experience came about, Mark, because people, you know, I only can take one people to India, one person to India, right? right. So, so people started saying, can you take a group to India? I'm like, hell no, I'm not taking a group to India. It's too crazy, it you know? Crazy. And then I went to Bali. I had such a profound experience in Bali. It was transformative. It was, Bali is the feminine, you know? India just takes your head, cracks you open. Just <laughs> deal with this, and you're going to just surrender. And, and Bali just melts you. You know, okay. but just like the feminine grace, just like you don't even realize you've been melted other than you're like, was I just melted? Did I just, did <laughs> right. I just, something just happened, you know, and there's no even space for resistance. And it just, the mother that just heals your heart and loosens the layers in you. And so I went to Bali many years back and I had this experience. I'm like, I don't know what happened, but something really changed inside of my body. In no my cells, my cells are, holy shit, my cells are different. And that's when I got this download, I need to create something in Bali that's really based on what I do in India, but now for a group. Mm-hmm. And, and it's basically I take twice a year, I take 20 visionaries, 18 to 20 visionaries to Bali for 12 days. It's a, it's a 12-day experiential immersion seminar training without walls where I use Bali as the seminar room. And I facilitate a similar process that I do in India, but for a group. And it's just as dynamic and it's just as powerful. And I put people in situations. I create situations that expose you your deepest unresolved issues Mm -hmm. that are getting in the way of your next level. And I create a synchronized process that helps you heal, transform, shift the patterns that are blocking you. Mm -hmm. And then we catapult you forward into living your destiny and really manifesting major things in the world. So we have everyone. We've got everyone from billionaires, celebrities, models. We had a 19-year-old kid, mothers, but ultimately people that feel a deep calling to serve humanity and they know that they are like, I'm here to impact society at a huge level. This is kind of a training for, it's yeah. not just for someone that says, yeah, I just would like something to do. It's for those that really want, want to impact the world and feel that calling in their lives. That sounds fascinating. I've never been to Bali. I'm going to have to come. That sounds fascinating. I, I really need need uh, idea. Are most of your clients men, or do you have a kind of a? It's a combination. It's a combination. Of anyone? Everyone. Yeah. 
You know, this, this kind of brings up an interesting point that I'm experiencing through seal fit and unbeatable that men are kind of hurting in our society, in Western society, right? They, and, and the suicide rate for young men is, you know, double and then quadruple depending on the age and then six times the female population when you get into the twenties and then yeah. it kind of stays there. And then it, then it actually jumps again back in uh, post middle age. Right? Yes, so it, yes. it's a real, real problem. Uh, without getting into the reasons why we think that's a problem, you know, what can we do about this? What can what can we do? What are you doing about it? I mean, how do you help men? Yeah, I mean, uh, I mean, I, I to be honest, I help human beings. Yeah, that's really what I do. Whether you're a man or you're a woman, I mean, I have specific work for women because women kept asking for a very specific teaching. Right. You know about, about love, relationship, understanding that's with men. Right. Yeah. I, yeah, and they kept asking, and they kept like they wouldn't leave me alone. So you have to create this, and that's really why I created a specific thing for women called Is the Man Break Experience. Okay, and it's, yeah. it's, it's a seminar experience for women where where I use relationship and love as a bridge to have a conversation with a woman about herself, okay. uh, because because love often brings up unresolved issues. But I, what I've also found is, you know, indirectly as women transform, they they impact men. Yeah, uh, right, right. As, as women evolve and elevate. Men have to raise their game if they're going to impact, if they're going to relate with these women. So, in in a strange sense, it impacts it impacts right. men. But, but for me, you know, I work with human beings, and I right. believe that at the deepest level, at the core level, we are all here to evolve. Right. We are, we incarnate into this experience because we have certain lessons to learn, Absolutely. and we're we're here to evolve and and to grow and learn those lessons. So right. for me, it's about you know, real success is not just like what you attain, but, but the degree to which you learn the lessons and you evolve and become who you really are. And for me, that's the game that I help people deal with right. and I'm up to. It's, right. It's, right. Am I becoming who I am? Am I evolving? Am I learning the lessons that I, right. that I was put on this planet for? So whether you're male or female, when you connect to that essential nature, when you, when you begin to taste and experience your purpose or what the Buddhists call your dharma, and you can live from that truth, that's when the pain subsides. That's when suffering ends, essentially. Um, you're still going to have challenges, but those challenges become our opportunities for, for further growth and insight. Yeah. Um, that's beautiful. So uh, probably should wrap this up pretty soon because I know you got stuff to do and I've got stuff to do. And this has been an amazingly cool conversation. And I hope we can pick it up sometime and uh, maybe serve each other in some way. And I'm going to look into that Bali experience. But... Um, I'm going to ask you a question that you ask your clients and you asked me in the book, but what would you do if today was the last day of your life? I think a couple of things. I mean, to be honest, I, I don't know if it would be that different from what I'm doing because what I'm doing, I'm doing what I feel I'm supposed to be doing in in life, which is given my gift, you know, as radically, like as intensely as I can and sharing that gift. So on one level, I'd be like, I'd be doing more of what I'm doing. Right. I'd be pumping out more. You'd love. have a little more urgency, probably, right? You know, more urgency. But I feel that urgency like now because I, I live like I don't know when I could die. I could die any moment, and, and I've seen death many times while on my travels. Like faced it, thought I was going to die. I was like, "Well, I'm still alive. This is crazy." So, for me, it's just you know I've synchronized my life where I've eliminated as many BS, unnecessary distractions, mm-hmm. like no drama commitment to living my dharma like fully you know and that's really i think the deeper we go as human beings the more we taste the truth of our being the less we the taste you know the less we have the taste for drama and inconsequential stuff and for me the more 
all I really want to do is serve God. All I really want to do is what I'm here to do. And that's my commitment. And so I would just keep doing that. But also, you know, I love my parents. And even though I love my father, love my mother, even though they're not here, I would probably just go spend some time with them, you know, and just be with them. It's kind of pretty simple. You know, I wouldn't, I wouldn't go eat seven donuts and <laughs> cheesecakes and, and, you know. Go to and, and, and so I think, when we, but when we face that, if today was the last day of my life, what would I do? To me, it forces us to go, how would I live my life? Because right. we're all going to die. Every one of us, it's guaranteed. Absolutely. Jesus died, Buddha died, Muhammad Ali, Bruce Lee, David Bowie, Bob Marley, Mother Teresa, Muktananda, you know, Yogananda, everyone died. It's just reality. But somehow we, we, you know, we think we're going to live forever. Like we were surprised. Oh, I'm going to die. So-and-so died. Of course, it's like guaranteed. It's like you don't need the psychic reading. Like we're going to die, you know. From the moment we're born, we start dying the moment we're born. But we live like, ah, we have 2,000 years. And I think when we face there, see, well, I'm going to die. Not as a morbid thing, but as a beautiful reminder of the preciousness of life. As we look at death and we make it our friend and say, thank you for reminding me to live. Then we, to, to me, that's the best time management tool we have is just facing death. Because when we realize, I don't have time for this BS right now. I don't have time for my own mind friction. I don't have time to just wallow and indulge my, my fear and my insanity. I don't have time for this for the next four days. Right. And it's like, it realigns, at least for me, it realigns me to yeah. go, let me do what's important. What can I do now? Right. So, I love that. My Zen master, um, who I spent four years training with, and he was also my martial arts master, but he was a Zen master, true, truly, and you know, got me into meditation at, at 20 years old. One of my favorite concepts that he kind of laid out in one of his little Dharma talks was one day, one lifetime. And that's, that was his term, one day, one lifetime. Nice, Isn't that nice. beautiful? And so that's, he's saying the same thing. It's like every day is an opportunity to live a full lifetime. I mean, I mean you, can get, you can find enlightenment in a single breath. You can find enlightenment in a day. And you can live a lifetime in a single day if you slow down and just focus on what's important. And oh, by nice. the way, it might be your last day. That's beautiful. So hoo that's a Navy SEAL for you rock. <laughs> <laughs> Um, this has been very, very enjoyable. I know Unveil Mind Tribe is going to really enjoy this and love it and uh, probably want to reach out and um, connect That'd with you. Awesome. So how can we do that? A couple of ways. I mean, I would love to connect with and serve anyone in your tribe. It's been, first, it's just been great hanging with you yeah, and like this that. conversation. I really, even though we haven't met in person, I feel your heart, man. So thank you for having me on yeah, yeah, and yeah. keep doing the, the, the great work. Uh, for those that feel called to connect, a couple of ways. My website, coopblackson.com, is, is, is yeah. coopblackson.com is one. K-U-T-E, uh, Blackson, B-L-A-C-K-S-O-N. Social media, Facebook, hit me up on Facebook, follow my fan page. Uh, Instagram is another way. But also those that feel, we talked about in the Bali, but those that feel maybe called to go to the next level and kind of live their life purpose at the next level, the, the Boundless Bliss, www.boundlessblissbali.com, boundlessblissbali.com. Uh, we have our next journey in December, so it's about two months away, okay. uh, three months away, I think, and, and, and uh, just an open invitation. We have a few spots available, so those that feel Terrific. the calling. All right, and uh, if you want to uh, check out the book, the book is called yes. You Are the One. You Are the One by Coop Blackson. Yeah, right. and if they go to you know www.youarethewonebook.com and order it through there, it takes them to Amazon, but if they come back there, then 
and enter their email with the receipt, they get like seven, six free gifts. Oh, terrific. So that, that, that's another great, I mean, and they're really pretty valuable gifts. So they'll get some great, great gifts. Okay. Awesome, Coot. Don't sign off just yet. Thank you very much, everyone. Unbeal Mind Tribe. This has been a very, very important discussion. I encourage you to go check out Coot's book and, um, and connect with him on Facebook and all that stuff. And as you know, uh, I also encourage you or request of you to continue your daily practice, right? The daily discipline, show up, grow up, clean up, open up, right? And wake up. But it happens through the daily practice and through your 20X challenges. So continue the work, stay focused, and we'll see you on the grinder. Hoo-yah. If you own a vehicle with less than 200,000 miles and have an auto warranty about to expire or no warranty coverage at all, listen up. CarShield has a low-cost month-to-month vehicle protection plan that covers more parts than ever. Visit carshield.com audio to find out how you could pay almost nothing for covered auto repairs. Drivers who activate this vehicle protection today will also receive free roadside assistance, free towing, and car rental options at no additional cost. Get your free quote today at carshield.com audio. That's carshield.com audio. When facing a family law matter, it can feel like an overwhelming and never-ending court process. It's vital to know that things will look better on the other side if you hire legal counsel with the skill and compassion to help. At Stangy Law Firm, we represent clients in difficult family law matters every day. Visit FamilyLawRepresentation.com to schedule your consultation. That's FamilyLawRepresentation.com. Stangy Law Firm, here to help you rebuild your life. Stangy Law Firm has an office in Wichita. Kirk Stangy, 120 South Central Avenue, Suite 450 Clayton, Missouri. Join us today during the Jeep Celebration event. Right now, get 20% below MSRP for an average of 15178 under MSRP on the purchase of a 2023 Jeep Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe or Summit 4xe. Not compatible with lease offers or with any other consumer and set of offers. 15178 average based on 20% below average MSRP from all 2023 Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe and Summit 4xe models in dealer stock. Residency restrictions apply. Take retail delivery from dealer stock by 4-1. Jeep is a registered trademark.